Our text for this morning is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5. We'll continue on with our reading from that chapter, the verses 8 through 14. The verses 8 through 14. There Paul writes, Actually, the ESV begins the sentence at verse 7. It says, Therefore do not become partners with them. And then verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So far, our words. Brothers, sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's writing his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, one of the things he wants to do for them is he wants to remind them about the new identity that the Lord God has given to them, that now they are the people of God. Often what Paul does is he he contrasts what they used to be to what he says you are now today. And so if you go back early into this letter in chapter 2, verse 1 and following, there he writes these words. He says to them, he says, As for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. But, he goes on, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, or you can say dead in sins, It is by grace that you have been saved. In those words in chapter 2, Paul contrasts uh, what the believers had been and what we were to what we have now become in Christ Jesus. We used to, he says, we used to live under the eternal wrath and and the judgment of God without any hope in this life. But through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, Something's changed. You now live under the mercy, you live under the grace of God. And so in the the first part of chapter 5, there Paul reminds the believers to whom he's writing, and so he reminds us as as well, that all those who, who seek the Lord God in faith, they now belong. We now belong to the family of our Heavenly Father. And therefore, we have this this wonderful experience, he says, of being dearly loved children of God. Imagine that. We're dearly loved children of God. We used to be enemies of God. 
And if you know that you have been in, and that you are dearly loved by your heavenly Father, Paul says in the first letter, in the first part of this chapter, he says, then you also want to imitate your Father. You want to imitate Him in the way that, that you live each day of your life. As children imitate their fathers in so many ways, we are now encouraged to imitate our Father, a Father who loves us with everything that He has. And because we have a Father who loves us, we now also love Him. And we learn to love one another. And so we have this new identity. By faith, we belong to the family of God. And we have now all become, you can say, children of God. And then Paul continues on in verse 8 and following to show us, now that we are children of God, that really changes who we are, changes how we're going to live. Right in verse 1, there he commands us. He says, uh, imitate your father. But then he goes on, he says, and if you are children of God, now therefore go and you walk. Walk how you walk as children of light. Why? Because God himself, our Father, he is the light of the world. And when the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sent by the Father into the world, when he introduces himself, remember he says, I am the light of the world. And so if both our Heavenly Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, are indeed the light of the world, then we should also be children of light who are walking and who are living every day in the light of the Lord our God. And so what we have in our text, we have another of those wonderful contrasts in which Paul says we used to live in the darkness of this world, but now we have become children of God, and so now we walk in the light of God. God is the one who lights the way for us, so we don't need to stumble through this life anymore. He shows us the way in which we are to go. He shows us the way that we are to live as his children. And living as children of light, that's also what brings us our greatest joy. Why? Because our lives become productive again. Our lives become productive in the service of our God. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. It's an amazing thing when we come to, to know God as, as our Father. What does God do? God gives us, first of all, he gives us a sense of fulfillment. He gives us a sense of peace. He gives us a sense of purpose and, and, and a meaning for our lives. There's a reason why I'm alive. There's a reason why I get up every morning again. There's a reason why I'm busy. Because God has given me a purpose. And that purpose is I may live each day my life in the service of his kingdom. And so this morning I'll proclaim to you God's word under this theme. Live as children of light, even as your father is light. So our theme then, live as children of light, even as your father is light. And under that theme, we'll look at three things. First of all, that we're called out of the darkness. And secondly, that we have become light. And thirdly, that we are to live in the light. Well, Paul writes, the beginning of our, our text, he says, you were once darkness. Well, what does Paul mean by that? What does it mean that you were darkness? Well, first of all, you ask, so what is the darkness that Paul is really talking about here in our text? Well, the Lord Jesus, 
spoke about that contrast already during his ministry between uh, the dark and the light in this world. He said in John uh, chapter 8, verse 12, and then we're going a little bit further into, into John from where we, were, where we were reading earlier. John 8, verse 12, where he's talking to, to the Jews about who he is and that he's the one who is sent by the Father into, into the world, and, and they don't recognize him. And then he says this to them in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you see, Jesus says, he says, I am the light of the world. And the world in which I am, darkness. And he explains that darkness earlier to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 19. He says, when people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. So what is Jesus saying to us? Jesus is saying, he says, the world in which we live is a dark place. He means uh, that the world is a place where people do evil deeds, where people do what is wicked, what is corrupt. He says that the world is a place that is filled uh, with wickedness. Or you go a little further than that. He says, no, the world is a place that is filled with people who reject the Lord God and who rebel against the Creator. And by living in their own sinful ways, following the, their, their own devices, what do they do? They refuse to, to live in God's light. And instead, they live according to the dark, the sinful desires of their very own hearts. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, in chapter, his first letter in chapter 5 or 6, writes to the believers, warning them. There he's warning them about the last days when the Lord Jesus is going to return from heaven. And he writes, he says, we, referring to we believers, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. You see, those who belong to the night, he says, are like those who are asleep. Then he concludes in verse 7. Those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. See, the point that Paul makes is that generally there's nothing good that happens in the night. Right? It's during the night that, uh, that uh, people go out and drinking and they get drunk. And it is during the night under the cover of darkness that the thieves come out and they begin to steal. And so the darkness in scriptures is always connected with wicked and with evil deeds. Why? Because people use the darkness as a cover that they need in order to hide the shameful things that they are doing. So Paul writes here in our text about the believers. He says, you were once darkness. You were like the oldest people in the world. But look very carefully at what he writes here. Notice he does not say that you once lived in the middle of the darkness, but now you no longer live in the middle of darkness. That's not what he says. Though the reality, of course, is that they and we today, we still live in the middle of a dark, we live in the middle of a sinful world. As Christians, we live in the middle of a world that does not know, that does not want to serve God, that rejects God. And so what, Paul, what does Paul mean then? 
If he's not saying that we live in the middle of a darkness, he says you were once darkness. That means, beloved, that the darkness was not just all around us. We were not just living in the middle of the darkness. But it means that the darkness was inside of you, inside of each one of us. That means, beloved, that we're all like all the other people in the world all around us. That we too were rebellious against the Lord God. That we too were doing evil and sinful things in the eyes of God when we were so selfish and we followed the selfish desires of our own heart. And because of the darkness in our own hearts, we could not even begin to understand, we couldn't even begin to realize that what we were really doing was evil and sinful in the eyes of God. Right, mankind, even those living in darkness, often think they're doing good things for other people. They think their lives are pretty good, and, and therefore, uh, if there's a God, God will indeed protect them. They don't even see. They get blind to the very darkness of their own hearts. And we see that darkness and how the hearts and the minds and the eyes of mankind are indeed they're closed uh, to the gospel message. When I was preparing this uh, message a couple weeks ago, I was reading an, a news article about Franklin Graham. He's the son of the late uh, Billy uh, Graham, a well-known evangelist. And he is scheduled to uh, make a speaking tour through Britain sometime later this spring, and I believe it's in May. And what had happened is that every venue that they had booked in Britain for that tour has now been canceled because there are opponents of the gospel who oppose this particular uh, tour and they have accused him of spreading hatred. Why? Because he is preaching the biblical truths of God. There you, you say you have a clear example of, of the darkness that lives in the hearts of mankind all, all around us. It shows that people are not able to, to see the light of the gospel because their hearts are darkened with their own empty, their own futile thinking, as Paul refers to that in Romans chapter 1. Now Paul says, you, know, you don't need to be in judgment of, of, of those out there, because we were just like that at one time, remember? Remember the time that our heart was completely dark? And so we were like those people who, who, who are asleep. We too were asleep spiritually. And when you are asleep, you don't know what's going on in the world around you. And so when our heart is indeed darkened, when our heart is spiritually asleep, we're not even aware of the evil and the corruption, first of all, in our own lives, and we don't even notice what's around us as being evil and corrupt either. And so did you see how Paul ends the text in verse 14? He quotes certain words. He quotes these words. He says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul is quoting here, and there's no certainty as to what he's quoting from. Some think maybe it's from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 60, which is somewhat similar. Where will be that he's quoting from some hymn that was being sung in the Christian church at that time? It doesn't really matter where, he came, where it came from. What's important here is that these words are a call for us, a call for us to come out of the darkness. We are like the sleeper who is not aware of the evil that's going on in our own heart. And therefore, we were spiritually dead to the truth 
concerning Almighty God. And so what we have to hear, beloved, also in these words that Paul is quoting, we are to hear this as a wake-up call. You know, when we sleep up, when we sleep in, in in the morning, and we might use the expression that we were at that time, we were dead to the world. And when you sleep in, you don't know what's going on around you. You're oblivious to it. And then somebody in the house who knows that you need to be somewhere uh, might call out and say, wake up, sleeper, rise and shine. And the call wakes you up and, and you get up to, to meet and to greet the new day. Well, the wake-up call here is the call of the gospel. The good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Beloved, that you can say that's God's wake-up call to all those who are asleep in their own sins and who do not realize that they are spiritually dead to God. The words that Paul quotes speaks to us about the power, the power of God's word to be able to awaken people from their spiritual slumber. And we know that no one, no one who is spiritually asleep, no one who is dead to the word of God is able to wake themselves up. Right? It is the Lord God who, uh, who wakes us up. And how does he do that? He does that through the power of his, of his gospel. Jesus reveals to us the power of his word in his own ministry. It was a powerful moment. But a week or so before the Lord Jesus was crucified on the cross and a good friend, Lazarus, died. And Jesus went to the family, Mary and Martha, because Lazarus had died. But the body had already been placed in, in the grave for some four days. And when he finally arrived, he said to Mary and Martha, let's go out to, to, to the tomb. And they said, why, Lord? He's, he's already been dead for four days. Jesus says, let's go. And he commands that they open up the tomb, that they remove the stone from in front of the, the doorway. Remember what Jesus did? Maybe children, you remember that story. Remember, Jesus called out. He says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. What did Lazarus do? Lazarus obeyed. He obeyed the voice of the Lord Jesus, and he came out. And you might say, well, how, how is that possible? How is it possible that, that a, a dead man can get up when somebody calls them to do so? Right? Impossible. Just can't happen. So what is Jesus showing us? And what's he showing the people back then is that, is that his voice has the power to make Lazarus alive so that Lazarus can obey the call to come out. And Lazarus, he came out of the tomb because the Lord Jesus made him alive so that he could obey the very command of the Lord. And so there the Lord Jesus, beloved, there he's teaching us that he indeed he has the power to call all those who are asleep, to call us out of our sins. And he's able to call everyone who is spiritually dead. He's able to call us to life. And so we, we all need to understand that the message we hear, also the message, beloved, that you are hearing this morning, 
is not just a nice message to make you feel good. It's been a little while that you can go home and you can think some nice positive thoughts about yourself or some nice positive thoughts during, during the week that get you through another week. It's much more than that. See, the Lord Jesus, through this very word, he is calling you and he's calling me to wake up and to rise from the dead. And that's something that we need to hear, of course, in the very beginning when we first come to faith. But it's a message we need to hear every week again. Because it is through this message that is proclaimed to you that you hear the voice of your Savior, of your Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And as you hear that voice, he is commanding you and he's commanding me to wake up from our spiritual slumber. To rise up from a life of sin and evil and to live as his people. To live as children of our Father who walk and who live each day in his light. And so Paul's point is that when you hear the voice of Christ, beloved, you can't just continue to live on in your old sinful way. You can't continue on in the rebellious ways that you were going against the Lord, Lord God. You can't just continue to just kind of glide through, through life. No, he calls you. And he calls you to leave behind the old, the old sinful ways of doing things. And instead to live as his children, children who love him, children who want to serve him from the heart. And, and when you wake up, and when you indeed you rise up from your spiritual darkness, and each day again, then Christ will indeed, he will shine on you. Christ himself is the light that gives light that you need in your daily life. And so Paul writes in verse 13 of our text, these words, he says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Well, think of the Lord Jesus himself. Right? The Lord Jesus came down from heaven. And when he came down from heaven, you can say he came down as the great light that, he might, that the light of God might shine forth in the world, in the dark world. I think many of us, we can relate to the idea that when we're in a dark room during the night and our eyes get adjusted uh, to the darkness and then suddenly, suddenly somebody flicks the light switch and the light comes on and immediately we, we put our hands in front of our, our eyes and our reaction is to close our eyes because the light hurts. Well, you can say that's the kind of reaction that the Lord Jesus received when he came into this world. Right? He was sent by God that he might be the light that, from heaven that shines into a dark world. And the gospel of truth that he proclaimed was shining into the darkness. But what did the people do in reaction to the light of Christ? Well, they closed their eyes because it was more comfortable to stay in the dark and to open their eyes and to see the light. And that's the reaction the Lord received wherever he went and wherever he preached throughout, uh, throughout Israel. Wherever he went, he, he spoke the truth from God. And when, whenever he spoke the truth, his truth exposed the wickedness and exposed the sins and the hypocrisy in the hearts and the lives of the people. But the people were like the thief. 
the thief who comes into, in the night to, to, to rob a house. And as he comes near to the house, suddenly you know, the, the floodlights come on because of the motion sensors. And it exposes that he is there, about to do his evil deed. And we know that the thief hates the light so much. What does he do? Uh, when the light exposes that he's there, he runs away. Because he doesn't want his evil deed to be exposed. Well, the Lord Jesus, beloved, he often exposed the sin and the hypocrisy of the people and of the leaders of Israel. Time and again, he, he called them out of their sinful way of life. He called them to himself, but the people hated him for the very gospel message he proclaimed to them. Why? Because Christ was exposing the sin in their own hearts. And then instead of confessing what they were doing was indeed evil and against the will of God, no, what did they do? They went and they threatened him. And they threatened that he would put, they would put the light of Christ out by killing him. Well, beloved, the words of the Lord Jesus those words have been preserved for us in the, in the Gospels. And they are taught to us in the Word of God. And that Word of God constantly places God's spotlight on your heart and on your life. And when the Word of Christ makes us uncomfortable, perhaps makes you squirm in your seat on Sunday morning, the, the pew is no longer a comfortable pew, what is our reaction? Our reaction can often be the same as that of the Jews in the days of the Lord Jesus. We just want to turn the spotlight that Christ puts on us. We just want to turn it off. I don't like it. And here I can speak personally. I don't like it when the word of Christ exposes the hypocrisy that lives in my heart. I don't like it. When Christ calls me out of the sinful selfish attitudes that lives within me. In many ways, I, I hate it when, when he calls me out for the hateful and the spiteful and the hurtful words that I've spoken, perhaps against my wife or against my friend or against my neighbor. And it isn't very pleasant when, when he calls me out for the envy and the jealousy uh, that he sees there in my heart. And it hurts when the Lord Jesus exposes the sinful behavior that I am living in. I don't want anybody to see it. I don't want my Lord to see it. I don't want him to expose it. Because it means that I have to deal with the consequences of my shameful actions. And I'd rather just continue on with the life that I have. Thank you very much. And so what do we do? What we do is we shut Christ out of our lives. Right? We, we begin to close our ears to the preaching that we hear on Sunday. We're there and we hear the words, but they don't penetrate. They don't change us. Well, we shut Christ out by, by leaving his word, the Bible, closed during the week, and we don't even bother cracking it open to, uh, to begin to read it and, and listen to what he has to say. Just last week, a man who has come into the Christian faith. He said, I carried my Bible with me everywhere that I went. But I never opened it. I didn't read it. 
It wasn't until he had a serious accident and he was laying on this flat on his back that he said, there was my Bible. He opened his Bible and began to read the Bible. And the Bible began to expose what was living in his heart. And the Bible indeed was God's word, a means by which he realized that something needed to change in his life, that he needed Christ Jesus. And so we try to check Christ out when we don't open our Bibles, when we don't read. We check Christ out when we refuse to, to pray, refuse to open our hearts to the Lord, also laying before him our needs and laying before him our praise and our adoration and also asking him for his help to deal with the stubborn sinfulness that lives within me. And on the other hand, when the light of Christ begins to shine on us, and we begin to let that light expose the sinful attitudes in our heart and the sinful things that we say and expose the things that we do. Beloved, then that light has the same effect as the light does on the thief who comes in the night. What it does is we run away. We flee away from what is evil and sinful. We shun the evil desires because we've been exposed and we know that's shameful and I don't want to live that way anymore. Our sinful actions and attitudes cannot stand there in the spotlight that Christ shines upon us. The light of Christ is a means by which the Lord is busy cleansing your heart and cleansing your life from sin and evil every day again. You notice that that Paul says that which is illuminated now also becomes a light. See in verse 8, he writes, and I think it's verse 9 in the ESV, he writes, now you are light in the Lord. What happens is that as the light of Christ begins to expose our, our sin, the light drives, you can say, the darkness of sin out of our hearts, out of our lives, so that we become a shining light. And so the question we need to ask ourselves also this morning, beloved, is do you see that transforming, that transformation of Christ? Do you see that transformation also being brought into your hearts and into your lives? Because it is his light that drives the darkness of sin from us. And when the darkness is indeed, when it is overcome by the light, what remains is light. And that's why Paul then can also command us, in verse 8, he says, live as children of light. Right? If we are, he says, if indeed we are children of light, then you will also see the fruits that come from the light. If indeed you have become light, then you do not expect fruits of darkness to come from your life, but we would expect that you will see the fruits of light come from your life. And so he says, he says, the fruits that you can expect from those who become light are the good things. Things like goodness, righteousness, and truth. When you reflect on those, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Well, the opposite of goodness is malice that Paul mentions earlier in chapter 4, verse 31. What is goodness? Goodness is always looking out for the well-being of, of, of others. 
But malice, malice always has the intention of hurting others for your own advantage. And even when you do good to others, it's usually because you are looking for some advantage for yourself. Righteousness, righteousness here means to do what is right and to do, and to do what is pleasing in the eyes of, of God. The opposite of righteousness are the wicked and the evil deeds that Paul wrote about earlier in this chapter, such as sexual immorality, impurity, greed, uh, foolish talk, and coarse joking, and so much more. And so when, you, when, we come, when we become a light in Christ, the light exposes all those sinful things so that we now run away from that kind of life. And instead, we do what is right, and we want to do what is pleasing in the eyes of our God. And as to the fruit of truth that he talks about, well, we know that those who live in the darkness, they do not speak and they do not know the truth. People live in darkness, do whatever pleases them. But when we come to, to the light, we begin to understand the light, then we also begin to understand the truth, and we begin to, to, and when you know the truth, you also begin to speak the truth, and you begin to also witness to the truth that God has given to you. And so when we know the truth, you're going to be careful. Careful about what we say. Careful to make sure that, that others know that every word that we speak will indeed be the truth. Also when we bring them the gospel. People begin to, to realize uh, that they can trust every word that we speak. Just every word that Christ spoke was the truth. At the conference this week, I spoke about the fact uh, that a man's dignity is also connected to, uh, to speaking the truth. And when we make a commitment, we make a promise or a vow that people then must also know that, and indeed we will keep that promise, we will keep that vow, also with regard to our, our marriages. But what happens when we don't keep our vow? It's like we just lost our dignity, we lost our identity, because our only identity is the fact that people know that we speak the truth. And you don't speak the truth, they don't know that whether they can trust you, and who are you? People don't know who you are. They don't know whether you're the man that you can trust that word or not trust that word. But as Christians, people need to be able to say, yes, this is a man who is good for his word. This is a man that we can trust. This is a man who speaks the truth. And when you then witness also to the gospel, then your words would have much more weight also for the people around you. And so Paul then encourages us in verse 10. He says, find out what pleases the Lord. On the one hand, you can say, now that we've become light in the Lord, we'll just automatically, we'll live in a way in which we're going to shine the light of Christ in our lives. Right? If the light is in us, then you can say we will also be a light in this world. But Paul also wants to say something else. He says, but in order that you might shine as a light of Christ there in your life, you need to, you need to find out, you need to discern what pleases the, the Lord. The question is, so how do we do that? Well, the word to find out or discern it means to prove that something is good, that it is real, and that it is indeed genuine. So, for example, somebody, you buy, you know, some gold from somebody. 
You're not just going to take his word that it's gold. You want to verify that it is indeed true gold and not fake gold. Not fake gold. You want to be able to discern whether it is real or whether it's full of impurities. And so when we shine the light of Christ out of our lives, we want to first of all discern. We want to make sure that what we are doing and what we're shining forth is indeed right and is indeed pleasing to God. So how do we make sure that everything we do is indeed pleasing to our God? Well, you'll find that not everything that we do in our lives today is always pleasing to God. So often we discover within ourselves sinful attitudes. We, we find sinful words are being spoken from our, our lips that we often regret, sometimes even the moment that we speak them. So often we do things that are not pleasing to God and for which we feel shame afterwards. But how do we know? How do we know that? How do we know that what we're doing, what we're saying, is indeed shameful and sinful? And how do we know what is truly pleasing to the Lord our God? Well, beloved, you know that when you learn it from the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself is the light of the world. Right? It's the Lord who, who's speaking to us, and he speaks to us through his holy word. The Gospels, they, they relate to us and they tell us about the teaching and they tell us about the work of our Lord Jesus when he was young on this earth. And then the apostles, uh, they, they write in their letters the very things that they've been taught by the Lord Jesus. And so the whole Bible, the whole word of God reveals the will of God. And as God reveals his will, he exposes indeed what is evil. But he also enlightens us as to what is good. And what is right. The only way, beloved, that you can be a light in this world is for your life. As one commentator puts it, is for your life to be a word-focused and word-directed life which develops a word-saturated mind. Our lives need to be word-focused and word-directed. And that way we develop a word-saturated mind. You see, the Word of God, the Bible, is the only source of light in this world. And through that Word, the Lord then also teaches us. He says, this is right, and this is good, and this is what is pleasing to me, and this is how you may serve me. And that's why, as believers, as Christians, beloved, you need to know God's Word. And when your mind is saturated with the Word of God, then you will also begin to learn and to know what is pleasing to the Lord God. And here we need to be a little bit careful because it's easy to have a, what we call a biblicistic approach to the scriptures in which we think that, okay, here I have a problem, here's a situation, and, and so where's the proof text? And so we're looking for sometimes for proof text to show us how, what we should think and how we should act in certain situations. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't give us a proof text for every situation that you might face in your life. So that's not how it works. When we talk about being that, that, that our minds are being word-saturated, it means that you know the Word of God in such a way that the Holy Spirit can also grant you the wisdom, the wisdom that you need to, to take that Word and, and to be able to apply the principles of His Word 
in the different situations in our lives. And so the more we're in God's word and the more we also pray for his spirit to give us discernment, we learn and also how we may live more and more faithfully as his people in every situation of our lives. And then Paul points out that there's a stark difference between the fruit of light and the fruit of darkness. And so it really comes down to, so what kind of fruit do you want to produce in your life? You want to produce fruits of, of, of light or you want to produce fruits of darkness? And he says this about the fruits of darkness. He says the deeds of darkness, they are fruitless. Right? A thief. A thief goes out and the thief might get rich. Or someone who is guilty of sexual immorality uh, may enjoy physical pleasure uh, and satisfy his lust for a little while. A person who strikes out at another person in anger may feel better for a little while. But you know, beloved, there is nothing lasting that comes out of those kind of things and those kinds of ways of life. Right? The fruit of darkness is the destruction, first of all, of a person's own life. And secondly, the destruction of the lives of all others. Life of darkness is a life of self-gratification. And self-gratification always comes at the expense of others. And it builds. It builds nothing that's lasting. Wickedness, you can say, only begets more wickedness. And evil only leads to the destruction of our human life. But the fruits of light expose those as wicked deeds for what they are. And instead, it builds something that is good, something, beloved, that is lasting, that is forever. Those who live in the light are those who then also look out for the well-being of others. They are looking to, to build good relationships, and ultimately, they are busy wanting to, to be building in the kingdom of God, developing a work that is not only for today, not only to satisfy our own needs, but building something that we know as foundations that will last for eternity. And therefore, beloved, let us all, let us live as children of light, even as your heavenly Father is light. Amen.